I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for The FOMO Show. Broadcasting to you from Brisbane, Australia. And from a dank pub in the middle of southeast England, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is the podcast where you'll hear about cryptocurrency in plain English. Uh, if you're excited about cryptocurrency but you don't have time to read white papers or technical presentations or any other manner of um, long-winded stuff, this is the podcast for you. Yeah, so Joe, you're you're coming to us from the UK today, aren't you? Yeah, so we're currently on the line. I, it's about uh, a quarter to 12 in the morning here, and I'm sitting in a, in a lovely pub in the, the southwest of England. What is horse racing on the TV and uh, people drinking alcohol, and I am uh, on the Red Bull train this week, but... Um, but yes, uh, I'm here for a couple of weeks and uh, just to catch up with some family. And yeah, interesting way to try uh, um, co-presenting a show from a pub. Yeah, so we, we apologize for the um, the Skype quality in advance. But look, it was either get Joe on, on his phone in a pub or not do it at all. And we still want to get the FOMO show out just every two weeks. Yeah, just yeah. listen to me. No one wants to listen. Just listen to me, mate. <laughs> 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 oh man, but you know, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing that interview. Actually, I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it was it was a really good interview. And look, he's um, Chris is from the UK as well, so I actually kind of felt like I was talking to you in a little way, man. I, I think I think had we have got the both <laughs> of you on the, uh, had we've got you doing the interview, it would have been quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, it'd have been very hard to tell apart. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you get to the? You didn't get to the Dash yeah. conference or the Bitcoin conference when you were in London. Ah, uh, no, but there's, it's amazing that there's so much going on, so, like, so close by. I mean, just for, just for a uh, hundred, well, equivalent of a hundred dollar train ticket, I could, I could have been in and, you know, visited a few of the things. There are quite a few different things on which it's quite alive here. The, um, ironically, there are so many things going on for blockchain in Europe, but at the same time, it's so hard to withdraw your bitcoins, um, in, in this country. So, yeah. interesting. You've got the tech, but not the, uh, financial infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think Chris was talking about um, some of that as well, and, and he was saying that um, okay. that there's a, quite a prominent um, a law firm, like a crypto law firm, that are um, that are currently you know talking with the UK government about the regulation and about relaxing a fair bit of it. Um, yeah, I don't know if they're going to have any luck because I know here in Australia they've tried and. You know, the, for all their good intentions, it just seem, they just seem to butt up against the the old establishment mm-hmm. every time they really try and push something through. But, mate, I mean, it, uh, it would be great, like, because you, you look at just the amount of innovation, especially, like, in the UK, there's a lot of stuff coming out of there at the moment. Um, and it just seems to be such a dis- disconnect between, you know, what's what you can do um, in the physical world and what you can do in the blockchain world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so today we're going to be running through a couple of bits of news, um, some coming out of Sweden, um, an update to the the Whopper coin story, and um, and th- then we're 
going into one tool that Matt's come across this week, and then there's uh, we've had an interview. So who did you interview this week? Yeah, mate. So I had a great interview with um, Chris Coney, who's the founder of the Cryptoversity. Uh, he runs the Cryptoverse podcast, and he's also the chief technical officer at Kexcoin, which is the ICO we covered in the last episode. So we've we've amazing. What did you what, and what did you guys cover? Uh, we basically covered um, a bit about how he got into the world of crypto and what he does. Um, and then we just, uh-huh. we covered the Kexcoin ICO. Uh, we were able to ask him a few of the questions that um, that we we raised in the last episode and just find out a, a fair bit more about the project. And i got to admit it, it actually got me more excited for the project um, than, than right. when we first started. Um, and then, yeah, we also just discussed the general you know, regulatory environment around ICOs at the moment. So it's a really interesting interview. Um I'd recommend you guys stick around um, and, and listen to it all in its entirety because uh, yeah, I really enjoy doing it. And, and Chris is a very um, interesting person. And, yeah, he was a great guest. I, I really enjoyed chatting to him. Fantastic. Well, let's get into it. Cool, mate. So, uh, so what's in the so, news this week? Well, I read an article um, about a week ago about um, so Burger King, who we mentioned had been, had issued a Whopper coin, sort of a loyalty loyalty card token built off the Waves platform. We were talking about that on the last episode, and now this week they've been dragged in front of the Russian regulator to explain exactly what Whopper coin is, because it seems there are a few people in the uh, Russian Russian uh, government who don't quite understand what it is. Uh, and they're wondering whether to how to approach it. So yeah, they've been um, dragged in front of the Russian regulator and forced to explain what what they do. So that's uh, an interesting piece, and that came out of Altcoin today. But nothing too serious, nothing that suggests that it's been banned. But um, it's an interesting piece of news. And for the people who missed last time around, it um, essentially you spend a, if you spend a bunch of money in Burger King in Russia. Then you'll be rewarded in Whopper coins, which you can then use to purchase Whoppers or other burgers on the fantastic Burger King menu. So um, it's a really interesting idea, and, you, and um, the tokens are a- able to be exchanged between um, between people via the Burger King app or by the looks of it um, over the Waves platform. So um, yeah, it's an interesting concept. But yeah, no wonder the, the Russian regulators uh, want to find out more. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they just. They just want to get all the tokens for themselves so they can get free. free they just want to get on the action. And what's been happening in Sweden? Yeah, mate. So I um, read a really interesting article this week um, from Cointelegraph. Uh, and it looks like Sweden mm. is talking mm. about going fully digital with their currency. So per Cointelegraph, um, it says Sweden is fast moving to follow through on its plans to become the world's first cashless society. While this is seen as a good sign for digital currencies on a new progressive frontier, it brings issues such as privacy concerns when every transaction is surveyed. Nevertheless, the country is still rooting for Bitcoin as the answer to provide an anonymity similar to the traditional cash system. Sweden, along with other Scandinavian countries such as Norway and Denmark, have long said no to cash. As previously reported, the Chamber of Commerce of Denmark has already proposed to allow most retailers except for essential services like hospitals, post offices and the like, to ensure that all financial transactions are done electronically and essentially ban cash. Uh, and in fact, it, the article goes on to say that the Danish government has actually set a 2030 deadline to completely do away with paper money. Um, 
So yeah, mate. Just like considering this article, I mean, what it seems like is it it, it does seem quite positive at first. Um, you know, government proposing to to go fully digital with their cash system, but mm-hmm. I I just didn't see much in there in the way of actual cryptocurrency. Like, I know that some of them are talking yeah. about maybe doing a Bitcoin, but it seems yeah. like most of it's just talking about just having completely on, online transactions. And I mean. You know, the, the issue with that is that um, at the moment, you know, governments can control the flow of cash. Like, well, the central bank controls it yeah. vicariously, um, but they can't really track the flow of cash. Whereas with the digital currencies in the banks, they can, you know, they can track that. They can, they can track what, what amount of money you have in your bank account, for example. Um, um, so what it seems from a cynical point of view is that the governments just want to be able to track everything and they want to do away with cash because that, that would, um, would mean that no one can transact without the government having access to those transactions. What you also wonder is what that's going to do to the, the foreign exchange sort of business. You know, every time you go through an international airport, there's always this foreign exchange desk where it's like trade this currency for that currency, but... Mm. What's going to happen is what, what, do you, what will happen? You put some sort of you know physical currency from one one country to this foreign exchange, and then they give you a, a digital receipt and say, okay, it's in in a paper wallet. Uh, how would they put it in some kind of a wallet? It'd be, it's going to be an interesting world out there. Yeah, and it just kind of I mean, it just kind of shows how I mean, if, if they're talking about doing something completely digital how ridiculous the idea of even having a national currency is. You know, I mean, the reason that that national currencies are a thing at the moment is because they each have different notes and they're each denominated from that country. But if you're going fully digital, um, why even have those barriers? Why even have someone having to exchange their currency into your currency when we have this thing now called cryptocurrency, which eliminates the borders, you know? Um it would make a lot more sense just for for the government to say, look, um, bring bring whatever you want in, you know, bring your Bitcoin, bring your Ethereum. Um, we're just going to transact in that. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, I wonder yeah. whether they're looking at doing a. They may look at doing a blockchain currency, um, but it may be backed by them, um, and I guess you might be able to exchange your either your crypto or your real-world digital money um, for that mm. that currency, that digital currency. Yeah, yeah um, it's funny. The last couple of weeks um, since our last episode, there's been a whole bunch of celebrities coming out, uh, both supporting and bashing Bitcoin. Um, and one of the more okay. hilarious ones I found was... Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Jordan Belford, um, he came to Jamie Dimon's defense um, and he said he's right about what he's saying about Bitcoin. So this is per Coindesk. It says, I'm not saying cryptocurrencies, that there won't be one. There will be one, but there has to be some backing by some central governments out there. He added, sooner or later, a central bank or a consortium is going to issue their own currency cryptocurrency and that's what will take hold yeah so for those of you guys that don't know jamie Dimon, who he's supporting is the ceo of jp morgan um and he's the guy that called bitcoin a fraud and yeah it was a little ironic hearing that because i mean jp morgan was very complicit in the last financial crisis um and they were one of the organizations that were deemed too big to fail um so yeah it's, it's just it's interesting that 
that he's saying that, and then you've got the Wolf of Wall Street, who made a living being a fraud, um, coming to the defense of another. Yeah, it just seems like they're all coming to each other's defense over this Bitcoin thing. You can see, in a way, where they're coming from. When they, when, um, now, obviously, then they're, they're both non-technical, non-technical people who are probably probably been briefed quite highly on this stuff, but. Um, it's what they said. The attitude that I seem to pick up, especially after reading that Wolf of Wall Street article, is that um, yeah, reading that Jordan Jordan Belfort um, piece, it's he's the way he's describing it. It's almost like he's describing it as the you know right now where we are in cryptocurrencies is the dot com bubble. I have a feeling he said something like he's not saying it's a totally you know, terrible thing, but I think he was saying that right now it looks like it's in that dot com bubble stage. Yeah. And even yeah. if you bought after the dot com bubble burst, and you look at the growth till now, it's still been a success. But there is the initial huge bubble, mm. so potentially that's what they're concerned about. But yeah, nevertheless, keep your eyes open, I guess. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, he's not entirely wrong. Like, uh, you got to give him some credit. Like, it it may it it's probably will be the case that people will feel a lot safer. If a central bank says we're going to issue a cryptocurrency and we want you to jump on board, um, simply because yeah. that's what they've known, you know, up until no one has lived, at least in the Western world, has lived in a system where a central bank doesn't issue the currency. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, mate, it's the establishment, it's old money, um, you know, you can't you can't expect much more from people that have grown up making a living on Wall Street. So there was another piece of news that came out the other the other week. I think I first read about it on Torrent Freak. Um, it was a, there was a bit of JavaScript executing on the Pirate Bay's website. Now, the Pirate Bay, for any of you good chaps out there, will know that um, it's for uh, acquiring uh, copyrighted files or actually just uh, finding torrent files that you can download peer-to-peer um, shared files. And this website has um, supported itself with ads for years and years, but uh, a number of the target audience, most of the target audience who use it, have ad blockers on. So the Pirate Bay are struggling to make revenue. So now um, they've put a little script on the site, which basically um, uses the your um, CPU power to mine mine bitcoins for the Pirate Bay when you're visiting their website. And it's a very interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it was Monero they were actually mining, um, not Bitcoin. Okay. Um, and ah. I think the reason for that is because it's a it's a it's a part it's a private coin, um, so that it's not right. okay. on any kind of chain. So I don't I think because I think they'd be concerned about compromising themselves. Yeah. Um, right. But right. yeah, like it was a, it was okay. a novel idea. I mean, they did get called out on it. Yeah. Um, Eventually, someone someone dug through the torrents and found it, and they said, "Oh, this is this is." It was all just a big test, you know. We were just testing to see whether it would work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, to think that that no one would notice that, you know, when they visited the Pirate Bay, that their CPU power went significantly up. Um, I mean, I've got one that sits on the side of my monitor, you know, and I can see what it's doing all the time. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, but, but Showtime did it's it. a very good idea if you run a high-traffic website. Uh, Showtime, did you say? Yeah, Showtime did it as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So Showtime, that's the TV company, isn't it? Um, they make uh, they produce TV shows? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did learn about that, but um, I didn't see how they how they built it in. 
No, not the dive. I haven't looked deep enough into the Showtime one, but I, from what I saw, they haven't actually admitted that they were doing it yet either. Um, right. Whereas okay. Pirate Bay at least came out and said, yeah, okay, you got us. We're just trying to make a bit of money. What, um, what it makes you wonder is if, if there's, there's some web development engineer, some random high traffic website, you know, and imagine you're a web development guy and you work at 9gag.com just mm. looking after the infrastructure there. It would be so tempting just to put a little bit of JavaScript on and point that at your own, you know, Monero <laughs> wallet and just start getting that traffic, making some money for you. Something tells me this is going to go. We're going to see some more little examples pop up, and the actual website and it's not having the not having the first clue about it. Yeah, well, it may, it may actually already be happening. You know, this might just be the two of them that have been yeah. found out. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. To watch. Mm. Yeah, so um, for anybody who's worried that this might happen to them, the way that you can avoid this is to disable JavaScript in your browser. However, that can really make your, your browsing experience much less enjoyable. Um, but that seems to be the only way that you can stop it from happening. Mm. So, mate, mm. I, I, I saw another article. Um, <laughs> I think you linked it to me, actually. There's one guy that's allegedly made billions on Ethereum trading and, and, and that came up on Zero Hedge and what it says is uh, the former Fortress principal Michael Novogratz left the firm's colossal macro hedge fund almost two years ago but has been discussing investments in virtual currencies since 2013 when he told a UBS conference, put a little money in Bitcoin, come back in a few years and it's going to be worth a lot. He was of course correct. Bitcoin wow. was trading around 200 at the time and as recently as three weeks ago was worth 5,000. Novogratz has wow. had a really good run. Aside from his epic call on Bitcoin, he's done extremely well on Ethereum. As Bloomberg details, it started with a late 2015 visit to a friend's startup in Brooklyn. I expected to see Joe, a dog, and one assistant, he said. Instead, I saw 30 dynamic young people crammed into a Bushwick warehouse, coding, talking on the phone, and making plans for this re revolution. Macro guys are instinctive. My instinct was, I want to buy a chunk of this company. He decided instead to invest in Ether, the cryptocurrency token used on Ethereum network. Novogratz bought about 500000 at less than a dollar per Ether and left on a vacation to India. By the time he returned a few weeks later, the price had risen more than fivefold, and then he bought more. Over the course of 2016 and 2017, as Ether surged to almost 400 and Bitcoin topped 2500 Novogratz sold enough to make about $250 million, the biggest haul of any single trade in his career. He said he paid tax on the profits, bought a Gulfstream G550 jet, and donated an equal amount to a philanthropic project for criminal justice reform. He then started a hedge fund um, and put in uh, $500 million worth just for crypto, and I, and I think he put in $150 million of his own. And he says, this is going to be the largest bubble of our lifetimes. Prices are going to get way ahead of where they should be. You can make a whole lot of money on the way up, and we plan on it. And Zero Hedge goes on to say, in bubble or not, Novo, as his friends call him, concluded eloquently on the extreme nature of cryptocurrency's potential. Remember, bubbins happen around things that fundamentally change the way we live, he said. The railroad bubble. Railroads really fundamentally change the way we live. The internet bubble changed the way we live. When I look forward five, ten years, the possibilities really get your animal spirits going. 
Mm, wow, that's a real trade he's made on that. I like how he went all the way back to the railroad bubble in that. You know, like it. It sounds like he he. Mm recognises that the market... I mean, you'll hear it later in this interview we did with Chris. You know, we talked about the euphoria around a lot of this stuff and it really seems to be the way, you know. Look, there's there's a lot of people piling into this space, um, a lot of speculative money. Um, and, yeah, it may... You know, this is, it's why you need to, to consider what you're going to invest and be, be careful about it. But, yeah, like, he's, he's, even if it turns out to be a bubble... Um, it's one, it's kind of a bubble we need to have, you know, like it will change the way things are done. Awesome. So I heard that you were, you were, um, exploring a new tool this week. Tell me more about that. Uh, yeah, mate. So it's, it's called Coinergy. Um, I've, I've actually been looking at it for a while and what it does, it lets you dig deeper into market trends as well as to trade your assets on exchanges. Um, It does that all in one program or one web-based program. Uh, You can find it at coinergy.com. And what it does, when you get into it, it's it's quite overwhelming. There's a a lot of stuff that pops up on the screen. Um, But it it, it does step you through it all in kind of like a tutorial. It's like a visual tutorial. Um, And what you can do is you can take a deeper look into the markets. Um, So you can actually... For example, overlay statistics from multiple coins and exchanges in one graph over each other. Um, so let's say I want to look right. at the price of PIVX, you know, for the last three months. You can then overlay, yep. and that's on Bittrex, you can then overlay the price of Bitcoin on Coinbase for the last three months in the background right. on that um, program. And then you can... You know, you can add a few other factors. You can, you know, add the volume and you can, there's a whole bunch of different tools. And so you can not only see what the currencies are doing, uh, but you can also compare them to other currencies and other, you know, charting methods. Mm-hmm. And it's quite powerful when you get it all okay. set up. Um, Is there a way of tracking your own trades with this? Yeah, yeah. So you can you can actually plug it into your exchanges. Um, so... Let's say you're on Bittrex, okay. which everyone um, seems to use these days. You can get Bittrex to issue an API, and it gives you a public key and a private key. Um, and then you can hook okay. that into um, to Coinergy and you know tell tell Bittrex whether you want to allow it just to read your start da- uh, your data, mm-hmm. or to actually be able to trade. Um, because if you wow. if you allow it to trade, Coinergy can actually make trades on your behalf. From within Coinergy, um, which means that mm. you know theoretically you could plug all your accounts from all these exchanges into this one platform, um, and you know trade from there. Obviously, that's wow. that creates some issues because you're centralizing everything and you're trusting one company with your stuff. Um, but yeah. if you're the kind of person that does a lot of trading, um, it could be a bit of a godsend. Because um, you can get stats. Yeah, on, sounds like something to watch out. Yeah, well, you can get stats on how your portfolio is performing. You can see, you know, what what's going on actively in the market, and they've got a few different tools. Um, now there are a few cons. Uh, it costs fifteen dollars per month. Um, so your first month's free, but after oh, that, okay. you have to pay fifteen dollars a month. Um, it's right. definitely not feature complete. Like I feel like it's really still in 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 beta. I don't think you could. Wow. So it's really out of beta just because there's a lot of stuff that's up there that's in their little menu that's grayed out. And, I mean, okay, 
look, the, the 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 they've got a lot of graph. They've got some graphics for your own portfolio, but I feel like for the for mm-hmm. the money you're paying, they're not as extensive as wow. they probably should be. Um, when I mm-hmm. go in to look at my portfolio trends, I just don't feel like I'm really getting enough. Um, and mm-hmm. it's quite a steep learning curve. I think I think you've got to have some experience with trading before you just jump in. Um, right, and okay. you'd, be, you'd be better off learning, cutting your teeth on, you know, Bittrex or or Cryptopia or any of the, the exchanges out there um, that just you know let mm. you just operate on that exchange. Cut your teeth on them, and then when you're ready, get the 30 day trial and have a look at it. Um, but yeah, if mm. you're brand new to this space or you've only been in it a couple of months, I don't think it's worth paying 15 bucks a month. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I just don't think you're going to get your value for money. Um, uh, mm. I think it's 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 quite a it's a powerful tool, but like any powerful tool, you know, mm. if you've got a chainsaw, you need to know how to use that chainsaw <laughs> properly before you just go turning it on. You know, um, you, you won't lo- you won't lose a limb, yeah, but you know, I just don't think you'll you'll be using it to its proper potential. Um, so you can find Coinergy at uh, coinergy.com. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Remember, your first month's free. So if you do want to give it a go, um, you can always jump in and get your first month for free. So earlier this week, I had the chance to interview Chris Coney, founder of the Cryptoversity and the Cryptoverse podcast, and also the chief technical officer at Kexcoin, uh, the ICO we featured last week. So without further ado, here's our interview with Chris Coney. Uh, today, we have Chris Coney, who's the founder of the Cryptoversity, the online school for Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and blockchains. He's also the host of the Cryptoverse podcast, and he's the chief technical officer for the Kexcoin project, uh, which is the project we featured uh, last week on episode two of the FOMO show. Um, so he's here to talk mainly about Kexcoin today. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, sir. Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm great, mate. I'm great. Thanks for asking. Um, so, look, first first order of business. Just tell us a little bit about how you got into the crypto world. First of all, how your journey brought you here. Absolutely. So, I think I was built for this, right? And what I mean by that is, um, my degree is in computer science. It's actually it's a longer title. It's called uh, Bachelor of Science and in Business Information Engineering. So, it was kind of computer science and information as applied to the business world so it was it was quite quite broad in that regard my father has always been self-employed so that's where i got that exposure and after uni um i tried to get a job for like six months no one would give me one so i ended up you know starting my own business so my career prior to discovering bitcoin was in sort of like web design and that kind of technology stuff so that laid the groundwork in my technical understanding meanwhile one of my major passions was studying economics I just had like a mad fascination with money, not not because I just wanted to buy mansions and Lamborghinis, just it was just something about the money system that I was fascinated by. And I started studying Austrian economics and sound money. And that was just that wasn't my profession. I saw how to apply it in business, um, just the principles and so on. But that was kind of a, a preparation. I didn't know. Well, I guess I always say, like, you never know what you're being prepared for. Mm. That's one of my sort of mottos. So when I discovered Bitcoin, it brought together all this stuff, like all the computer science stuff that I'd studied. And then there was this economic angle coming in. And then I was in business and, I, and I'd been an experienced marketeer and all this other stuff. And they almost seemed like roughly linked together. But then when I discovered Bitcoin, it was like this center point 
where it all intersected. Mm. And I was like, wow, it was almost like this was invented for me, right? <laughs> it, just everything I loved, everything that I'd done, all my experience, I was prepared to become you now the Chris Coney now, the you know, the host of the Cryptoverse and this quote, you know, expert in cryptocurrencies and so on. So yeah, that's so it was kind of meant to be. I believe it was meant to be, mate. I cannot yeah. believe how perfect it was. <laughs> uh, it was like it was it was made for me. That's the way I see it. Right. So just tell us before we move on. Tell us a little bit about cryptoversity then, and, and and what and what you do. What what made you build your reputation in this space? Absolutely. So during my own research, um, it was it was easier for me to get my head around Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because I already had found a foundational knowledge of the concepts like what the hell's cryptography, right? Mm. Um, and all these kinds of things. What's a network? What's topology? What's consensus? What's proof of work and all that sort of stuff. So I already had all these pieces, ingredients, understanding of the components. And that's that's the way I explain Bitcoin to people. I say, look, the invention is the actual recipe. It's the way that these pre-existing components were combined in this unique recipe for the first time. No one had seen them put together in this way before, and that became Bitcoin. Um, so... The big gap that I saw when I was researching it was like, because Bitcoin is so multifaceted, it is quite hard to explain to someone unless you have all these understanding of these pre-existing components. And especially if you don't understand the money system as it is, it's hard to understand what problem a Bitcoin solves. So that's an even bigger learning gap, right, between someone who's complete novice hears about bitcoin but they also need to understand how money works first before they can begin to understand the profundity about bitcoin so that left me thinking huh i'd like to get involved in this whole thing but where where do i fit into it right where's my place in this whole thing and i did this exercise uh, out of a book that i read called uh, how to find your giftedness zone that was what the exercise was called not the book and it was like, email five people you know and ask them these questions like, what am I good at? What am I bad at? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And just let them all come back to you on their own and see what the commonalities are, right? So I'm shortening the exercise here. But I did it with the five people that knew me the best. They all came back categorically with roughly the same answers. And that forms into what uh, Perry Marshall calls your giftedness zone, right? Mm. And mine, mine goes something like uh, the ability to communicate ideas without making the student feel patronized or something like that. Um, and that was sort of historically what I used to do with computer science with my fellow students and whatnot. It's overall being a teacher, but when I was at uni, sometimes it, it did feel like the lecturers were condescending. Yeah. Right. And it, it's, it's a really fine balance when you're trying to teach somebody something, obviously, you know what it is, you're the teacher, they don't know what it is. So there's kind of a mini hierarchy going on there, but the skill of flattening that out. So it's just you and me on a level. Mm. And, and we're just, I'm sharing information with you rather than teaching it to you. It's a really subtle skill that I think I have. Mm. Um, and that's why, that's why the giftedness zone statement came out in the way it did without the student feeling patronized or inferior or anything like that. Um, cause some people don't ask questions because people don't like not to know cause they don't look stupid. Right. Mm. But, but whenever I've taught people one-to-one, they're just so relieved that, that, that I was gentle with them and that they got it and they didn't feel stupid as a result of learning something, right? Mm. So I got I got this, I did this exercise beforehand. So when I came across Bitcoin and asked the question, where do I fit into this? I thought, hmm, there seems to be a massive education gap here, right? I can see 
the size of the problem Bitcoin solves, but there's there's this big gap of understanding. And I thought, well, that's a Chris-shaped and size gap, right? <laughs> I can slot my giftedness zone right into that slot, yep. right? So that's why I chose to get into the education business, built my first course, which was called the Digital Money Revolution, and then it's gone on from there. And it seems to be the way, doesn't it, in this space? I know for me personally, when I came in, I mean, I'm I'm quite educated myself, and I thought, you know, I can, I can really figure anything else. But I guess the concepts in this are so you're dealing with concepts like cryptography and um, mm-hmm. and blockchain and all that kind of stuff. It's a very niche. It was a very niche portion of the computer science market. Let yes, alone indeed. Technology in general, and mm. now you've got you know hordes of people coming into this space and trying to grasp with it. And right. most of the concepts it seems to presume a certain amount of knowledge. Yes. But no one really has. You know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ordinarily need to know things like what the hell's cryptography. No. Um, I think it's because, because it's money, right? People really, really want to be able to trust it. And I believe that you don't need trust if you understand something, right? The trust comes from the, the deep understanding. And that was actually the basis on which I made the first course. It's, it's it, it's not very applicable the digital money revolution course you you um you don't like acquire a new skill as the result so you might say that's a bad course however my goal with that course was to give people sufficient confidence in how it works so they would they would be confident using it with that knowledge of what's going on under under the hood mm. right if you just say to people oh don't worry about it it's decentralized no one controls it people go yeah but, but how does that work though Right. I'm not taking your word for it, especially not when my money is on the line. If it's email, people are like, yeah, fine, it's encrypted email. I don't really care how it works. It's private. That's good enough because the consequences of your emails getting leaked are smaller than if someone hacks your Bitcoin wallet. Right. Mm. Whereas if people are putting real money in, they really want to know how that thing is secured. Right. Yeah. So you're doing this cryptoversity thing and everything's going mm-hmm. well. Um, and yes. then I was actually following your podcast at the time, um, the nice uh, Cryptoverse. And, uh, and you said, yeah, look, we've got this new project. So, and it's called Kexcoin. Um, yes. Talk to me a little bit about how um, you went from doing the Cryptoversity stuff to then moving into this new project called Kexcoin and how the concept right, uh, originated. Sure, absolutely. So this has been like a lifelong bug of mine. It's, um, it might be a dysfunctional part of my personality, but <laughs> whenever I'm doing something, I never feel like I'm doing enough, Right. Maybe that's maybe I need a therapist. Maybe not, but that's not important for this oh, conversation. I know that feeling exactly. You know what I'm saying, right? So, so that's that is what it is. That was there. It's still there. I'm working on it, but it, it causes my mind to constantly be thinking, like, how can I provide more value? How can I do more? And um, it was when I read the book, like the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that that helped me write like a personal mission statement, which gave my life an actual purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So that I'm I'm not just doing this cryptocurrency thing because it's the hottest thing, right? It's in direct alignment with the mission statement I wrote 10 years ago, right? And everything I've done since then has been in alignment with that, right? right. So that's that's why I start Cryptoversity because it, it helps people – Well, because the mission statement goes leading people to freedom through education and awareness. So when I saw the education gap in Bitcoin, I thought, oh, great, financial freedom for the world and I can educate people. Boom, that's right on mission. Let's do this. However, despite you know educating hundreds and hundreds of students and so on, I'm still like got that thing going on like – how can I do more? It's great educating people. It's great showing them how to make and save money with Bitcoin and all this sort of stuff. But how do I actually create opportunities for people? Like, how do I create the opportunities rather than 
sending them here and there to other services and so on. What could I do? Mm. And it was it was coincidental. One of the guys I went to uni with, Simon Lee, right? We were both in the same computer science class. It was odd. We met on the very first day of uni, which was like 16 years ago, and we've been friends ever since. Um, and he's, after uni, he set up like a an eBay business selling like TV brackets or something, and then he's built that into a significant business, like serious, serious business. Right. And I would always go and see him on like a social visit every few months or so on, and we all we did was talk about business, technology, you know, the internet technologies and so on. And it was on about the third visit when we, we spoke about, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and then the second time we did it. And then the third time when we spent the whole evening talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, the next day he calls me and he goes, Chris, I've got an idea, right? So Simon Lee's father, Michael Lee, owns a company called Kexgill, which is a British company that's 40 years old and it's in the business of um, buying properties and turning them into student accommodation. Because Simon's from a city called Hull, which is a which has got a big university there, right? Mm. So Kexkill owns like, you know, fifteen hundred student properties in and around the uh, Hull University and all across the north of England, right? Jeez. So Simon's like Simon's like, huh? I've got an idea. So he says, Chris, is, what about this as an idea? What if we used a cryptocurrency to do it like an ICO, raise funds? We can build this big old student property portfolio using skills skills and connections and systems and processes and intellectual property but instead of getting the money from the bank and paying the bank interest and all that liability what if we brought it to the masses right and just allowed anyone who had some bitcoin to participate in that and i was like that's a damn fine idea <laughs> so we, we we knocked our heads together we took it to mike and richard who is the managing director of Kexkill. we presented it to them we said how about this? So we explained it all to them because those guys are like several generations back. Yeah. So we had to really take them through. This is the tech. This is how it works. This is how it's going to be, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, cool, right? So you mean we can we can have um, basically a, a debt-free portfolio, which will be highly profitable, that we can share the profits with all the crowd of people that helped us put it together in the first place. And we were like, yeah, that's pretty much it, right? And we don't have to deal with the banks. We were like, yep. And they were like, okay. Let's do this. So they're like, we'll fund it. We'll fund all the marketing and everything, and let's do this. So that's where it came from. Brilliant. And and so <clears throat> the um the one thing I noticed was that a lot of ICOs around now seem to be building it on bit uh, on um, Ethereum, but you guys elected yes. to do it on BitShares. Yes. Um, very early on. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you elected to to put it on the BitShares network as opposed to the Ethereum network? barely see the, that, that question's the wrong way around. The question should be, why is everyone doing an ICO on Ethereum yeah, right. when, when that's not what it was designed for, right? Yeah. BitShares was designed for exactly this purpose, right? It's a decentralized exchange with the ability to create custom tokens. It has a throughput. It can do thousands of transactions per second. And we proved it when we had like 180 Bitcoins worth of pre-orders mm. on the BitShares decentralized exchange and the minute the ICO went live, it just blew through the whole thing in a split second. Wow. And no one else on the BitShares network even knew it. Now, that might not have been a big enough opening on Ethereum to cause a problem. But I, on the Cryptoverse, when I've done live coverage of ICOs like the 10X launch and all these others, yeah. if there's any sizable ICO, it just grinds the network to a halt because 
that's not what Ethereum was designed for, right? Mm. So when with, I've got kind of a unique position, me being involved in Kexcoin, I didn't want to just follow the crowd. I thought, hmm, what are the, the, the pros and cons of everything? And what's the best tool for the job, right? Yeah. I didn't want to get conditioned by following the herd, right? And BitShares, to me, just seemed like the best tool for the job. Mm. And it was a lot simpler. People could use uh, Bitcoin rather than Ethereum. And it just seemed, because I'm from a marketing background, I'm always thinking about the customer. What's going to be the easiest customer experience? And how do we make it so seamless that we minimize any chance of customers needing customer service? Yeah. Right? Because you know I'm saying, if you need a huge customer service department, why? Right? There must be must be some kind of roadblock in the system that requires support. So I thought if we solve that problem up front by making it really simple and the, ne the network won't jam, the fees will be minuscule. So no one will be calling us up saying, why is my transaction not confirming? Right? It just won't happen. It cannot happen. So we solve all those problems up front. Um, so that was, that was the main reasons why we used um, BitShares. And because it's got a decentralized exchange built in, as soon as people have their coins they can trade them number one right. but two there's there's no delay there's no like claims process when i personally have participated in icos on ethereum it's kind of a disjointed thing so they they collect all the ether into an address and then sometime later they then issue the tokens and that's not for all ethereum based icos but i was again thinking about the customer i mm. thought if there's this gap between losing control of my money and waiting for my tokens, that's not a good customer experience at mm -hmm. all. I don't want that anyone being nervous about my project. So that with BitShares, if we if we sell the tokens directly on the exchange, which is what we're doing, as soon as the Bitcoin leaves your wallet, Kexcoin arrives in your wallet. There's an instantaneous exchange. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to worry whether you're going to get your tokens or not. They arrive immediately, right? So these are all the reasons why I chose to use BitShares rather than Ethereum. Yeah, and and when you're talking about adoption and and you know and talking about widespread use, I mean it just makes it makes so much more sense, doesn't it, to have a a, a, um, a transaction process where you do instantly get back what you put in. You know, you, you get that exchange sure. straight away because yeah, I, I know personally, like with Ethereum, you um, I've had shocking times sometimes. You know, I mean it, even in the um, what was on the ones I participated in recently, EOS. You know, in the EOS token sale mm -hmm. you know you there's a there's a whole process you have to go through to get your ethereum even into the eos blockchain and then you have to right. claim that back and you've got to make sure you've got enough gas um and it, it's like a 10-step process you know right um, exactly this, here's, this, here's another one here's another big one bitshares doesn't use cryptographic addresses it uses right. account names right so like my my account name is like chris coney so when you send and receive uh, value on the BitShares network, whether it's Bitcoin, BitShares, or Kixcoins, you send it to like Matt 101 rather than XYZ, blah, 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 right? Mm. So there's, there's that, that anxiety is removed by, oh, did I type the address correctly? Did I copy and paste it right? You can, you can it's human readable, right? Yeah. And BitShares also has a, a simple account model where you log in just with your account name and a password. And I thought, well, people are familiar with that model, right? So... All of these people that are just like too scared of these cryptographic addresses, they can just straight away go to the BitShares network in 10 seconds, sign up for an account, right, on the BitShares exchange, essentially, and then just put the Bitcoin in the wallet and away you go. Mm. 
And mate, that's what really, I guess, really fascinated me about the Kexcoin project in general. Once I heard it about about it from you and started looking into it, is that there's this real intersection of real world assets and the blockchain. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're taking you're taking what's been predominantly well, only a real world transaction, which is the buying and selling of property, um, and you're bringing in the blockchain space and you're trying to to mesh them and put them together. Um, mm-hmm. And including with making it easy for people, like putting it on BitShares and, and and using account names, which might allow people that aren't very familiar with crypto, but hear about this opportunity to get involved, um, right? And want to get involved, it might, like you say, make it easier for them too. Um, so, I guess one of the things that comes out of that then is, can you talk to me a bit about how blockchain specifically lets you do something different with this project? Because I know that in the real world you can you can take shares in a company you can go into joint ventures with other people to you know to do things like this to purchase property um but what's the blockchain letting you do differently um and specifically also talk to me a bit about uh, i think i saw something about the payment for rent in there with these kids mm-hmm. absolutely so let's take the first part first what what the hell are we using blockchain technology for yep. in this case right okay the automation of the accounting process, number one. So mm-hmm. there's like no friction whatsoever. And also to broaden the reach. So technically, we could have just raised the money in British pounds and allowed people to use like bank transfers and credit cards and so on. But that would have restricted it to people in the UK who had British pounds. Mm. The whole point of taking it into the crypto world is it takes it into this country called the internet, which has this enormous population, right? Yep. And then it then allows anybody, like someone in the Philippines who only has $5 to invest, they can they can participate in the Kexcoin ICO and profit from British real estate, right? So we were like, sweet. That, that's the abundance economics of, of the internet. You'd only need like a few people from each country, like one or two people from each country participating and then it's, and it becomes a viable project. If you flip that around and said, right, it's a UK-only project, you need a much deeper penetration to to reach the goals, right? So that's the beauty of crowdfunding on the internet. It's that abundance. It just this massive crowd of people can participate. Um, and, and, and frictionlessly, right? Anyone who can get some Bitcoin can get some exposure to this new property portfolio that we're going to build with the funds that we raised, right? Hmm. So that was that was the first part of your question. What did you say in the second part there? Yeah, so specifically I, what really caught my eye was when you in the white paper started talking about um, making payments for rent with these kids. Yes, indeed. Letting people come in and, you know, prepay their first month or whatever on the uh, specifically using Kex coins from their country. That's right. So I think we got this idea from the community actually because when we first launched the or announced it we got a ton of feedback, and, and we've tweaked the model multiple times based on brilliant ideas from the from the from the community. And that's another great thing about crowdfunding. When people say, "Why did we even do a crowdfunding in the first place?" It's the wisdom of the crowd. We have had some fantastic ideas that we've took on board and modified the model uh, because you've got like thousands of brains on it rather than the ten or so brains that we've had looking at it from the internal team, right? So we. Um, People were talking about how do the students benefit from this, um, and that's where the idea of okay, so say you are a a Chinese student because there's, there's a lot of Mandarin speakers come to Hull University and study and so on, and the one of the ladies on the project, uh, Michelle, who's the 
English Mandarin speaker. She's a finance analyst for Kexco, but also she helps the Mandarin students um, when they're, you know, just far away from home and starting uni and so on. So we thought, hmm, what about the parents of these students, right? What if they could take some of their Bitcoin in China or wherever they are, buy some Kexcoin with it, and then they could either hold on to it until it goes up in value and then perhaps pay off the their son or daughter's entire uh, rent for the year, right? So they could use it, just use it as like a remittance service, mm. buy the Kexcoin and then pay the rent, or they could buy and hold it. And then over time, we'll get into the model in a minute, over time when that Kexcoin increases in value, they could make a call and say, okay, my Kexcoin is now doubled. So now I'm going to spend it and pay rent for my son, daughter, or otherwise for their for their accommodation, right? Which would be part of the properties that we're going to buy. So the parents of the students could do that, or the students themselves could even do that, right? They could section off a little bit of money into Kexcoin, hold it, and then it'll appreciate in value, and they're getting greater purchasing power, and they could use that to pay off their um, pay off some of their rent. And student mm. debt's a big deal; it's a huge deal in the UK, and it's getting worse, right? Uni's getting more expensive over time, so we thought maybe that'll help out as well. Brilliant, brilliant. So yeah, you mentioned the model. Um, talk to us a bit about the model. Yeah, what's how? How are these Kex coins once they're purchased? Um, how are they going to be used for the foreseeable future? Okay, okay. So there are three main ways that people can profit from Kex coin. The first one is by participating in the ICO itself. So what we're going to do when the ICO ends, which could be on the 14th of October, which is the 30-day mark anyway. So it could be then, or if we sell out before that, either way, that will be when the ICO closes. So when the ICO closes, there's this 48-hour window where we will pick a random time to take a snapshot of all the accounts that hold Kexcoin and how much each account holds. So we've done that 48-hour window with a random time to encourage people just to hold the coins for a minimum of like two days after the ICO, just to guarantee that you are holding the coins when we take that that snapshot, right? Mm. After that, after that, you can do what you like. But if you're included in that snapshot, then you're insured of this first way to profit that I'm going to describe. So if you're included in that snapshot, you then get a share of the increase in property value over time. So even if you get included in that snapshot and then you sell your Kex coins afterwards, doesn't matter. You're in the snapshot. And then when we sell the portfolio at the end of the project, we will basically airdrop Bitcoin into that into that uh, BitShares account that was included in the snapshot because you supported us at the beginning and you helped us build the the uh, the capital to build this new property portfolio. We wanted to reward those people that supported us right from the beginning with that incentive, right? So you can still buy Kex coins on the open market if you want to in the middle of the project, but we really wanted to incentivize people to help us from the start because the amount of capital we raise equals the size of the portfolio we can build and equals the amount of profits we can generate and then share with people who helped us out, right? So mm-hmm. we're thinking win-win in that regard. So that's that's the first way you can profit. Now, in the meantime, what we're going to be doing after that is every time we get uh, rental income from these properties, once every three months, we're going to take half of the profit that we make from the rental, convert it into Bitcoin, and then start buying back Kex coins from whoever wants to sell them. 
So that will be a specific day that we will announce in advance every three months. And we'll say, like on the 3rd of March, we are going to come to the market and do the buyback. And on that day, say say the buyback budget is like 20 bitcoins, right? We will go to the mark to the exchange, the BitShares exchange, and we will look at all the people who want to sell their uh, Kex coins, which, you know, they'll all be there on the order book. And then we'll start buying those coins back. So we'll take possession of the Kex coin and give the people Bitcoin. And we'll keep doing that until we've spent the whole budget. In this case, what did I say? It was like 10 or 20 Bitcoins. Mm. Once we've run out of money, that's the end of the buyback. We come back in three months time and do it all over again. Now, the, the price we pay for a, a Kex coin when we buy it back depends on you. So if you participate in the ICO and you buy a Kex coin for the fixed price, which right now is 0.0025 Bitcoin, you might buy it. And then immediately, some people already have done this, they've already listed their Kex coins for sale at double the price. Right. And then they're just going to leave it there, right? So one day, we're going to come to the market on buyback day. And if theirs is the cheapest order, right, if they're offering to sell the Kex coin back to us at the cheapest rate, mm. we'll buy it back at double the ICO price, right? Or right. higher, right? Okay, so, so the value is technically, it's, I guess you could say that it's in a way it's tied to the um, sum of the rent that's generated from that three months. That's correct. Every time we do a buyback, so once we've exhausted the budget, every Kex coin we buy back in that way, we burn. So we're reducing the supply of coins in circulation every time we do it. The reason that's important is because there's less competition for that buyback money every time we do it because there are less coins in existence. So the longer you hold it, the more scarce it becomes, right? It's because we're, we're burning Kex coins every three months, burning it, burning it, burning it. So not only over time are the, are the profits going to increase, so that's one line going up, <clears throat> excuse me, so that's demand for Kex coin, if you like, from us buying it back, but the supply is going to decrease. Mm. So you've got simple increasing of demand, uh, decreasing of supply going on there. So the longer you hold it, the more it should raise in value. Right. Okay. Okay. And so as time goes on, uh, well, I guess even in the first round, uh, those bids that you, that um, that are being made on buyback day, so say I've got mm -hmm. a Kex coin and I want to put it up for sale back to Kex Gill. Um, yep. Uh, is my sale visible to everyone else too? So everyone can see what I'm offering. They can kind of work out where the market's sitting and work out where they want to put their Kex coins for listing. That is absolutely correct, sir. So BitShares is an exchange like any other. So even now, you can go to the uh, the market, which is Bitcoin trading against Kexcoin, and you can see how many buy and sell orders are there. Just like every other exchange, Bitrex, Poloniex, it's an order book. It's a, mm. it's a market. It's an open market. Now, they won't necessarily know it's you that's placing that order. It will just say someone wants to sell five Kex coins at, you know, one Bitcoin each or whatever, right? Yeah. So you'll be able to see your, let's call them your competitors, because essentially that's what it is. You're having to compete with for that buyback money, right? Mm. So you can either hold longer or you can sell short. Depends. Depends what your circumstances are. If you want a faster return, then, of course, you'll accept a lower price. If you want a longer return, just wait, you know? Yep. Okay, but the but the the Kex coin that are sold to other people obviously aren't burned. But the moment they go to the um, Kex skill account um, on the on those three monthly buyback days, then all the transactions that come to Kex skill, like all the Kex coin that comes to Kex skill, that's all burnt and it's gone forever. That's right. Once we run out of um, money on the buyback day, the very next thing we do before we finish for the day is burn all those coins. So right. if we bought back ten thousand Kex coins, we destroy them permanently and then get back to work. Okay. All right. 
Um, and so this this goes on for a significant amount of time, correct? It does. So now this is another bit of feedback from the community. In our original um, sort of business plan, we'd set it a project as a 15-year project. Mm. So we were going to like allow the properties to increase in value over a 15-year period and then sell them and then distribute the the money from the sale of the properties to those people in the snapshot we talked about mm. a minute ago, right? But the first bit of feedback we got like in the in the Telegram chat, which is on public record if anyone wants to look, look back at it, and on the forums and so on, people were like, well, I'd really like to use this like a, as a pension scheme. And 15 years only means 15 years of, of exposure in terms of the increased property value. And you know how the law of compounding works, right? Mm. It's an exponential increase. So the the value of the property increase after 50 years versus 30 years isn't double. It's many, many times greater. Those extra 15 years don't just double the amount of property value. It's exponentially higher because of the, the law of compounding. So that was the feedback we got. We were like, can you extend it? So we went back to the drawing board, spoke to um, like Michelle, at finance, finance analyst, and Richard Stott. We did all the figures and thought, okay, we'll, ex- we'll, do- we'll extend it to 30 years so that then it's got a lot longer to increase in value. And then um, as long as you've still got access to that uh, BitShares account, because that's the thing that has value, right? That is the, mm. that is the account we're going to send the money to, yep. whoever's in possession of it, whether it's you, your next of kin, whether you put it in your will, doesn't matter. It's just like any other financial asset, if you like, that you pass on, right? So that's what we're going to do. At the end of the project, 30 years' time, we're going to sell all the properties and take the proceeds and then return them to the uh, people in that snapshot. Right. Okay. So at the end of 30 years, essentially, those properties will be sold and the proceeds will be paid back to those people that still have the coins. Or will they be will they be bought back by Keck, Skill and, and Burnt? I got you. Okay. So we, we've skipped to the third way to profit. Okay. So the um, the people in the snapshot are not the only people that get a share of the the proceeds when we sell the property. Right. The, the third way to profit is if you've if you've held on to those Kex coins and you still hold them in your wallet on that final day, you're included in the share of the proceeds. Now, okay. you you'll get a a smaller share because there'll be fewer coins in existence. So, the the best way to get a a, a greater share of those proceeds is to participate in the original ICO because that's when Kex coins will be the cheapest because mm. it'll be the they'll be most abundant, right? So. Those input the people in that snapshot will get a greater greater share of it. However, if you miss the ICO and buy some Kex coins mid project and just hold them, you'll still get included. It'll just be pro rata. It'll be a smaller share of the final proceeds. Right. So essentially, what we've got here, Chris, is we've we've really got is is this blockchain's first retirement fund as well? I mean, is that maybe is that kind it depends of what, what people use it for? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, that that honestly hadn't even occurred to me when I was um, doing a bit of research into the project, and I and I, I saw that thirty year um, uh, buyback at the end, but it didn't really occur to me that some people would actually be saying, I guess because I'm I'm a younger bloke, um, right? You know, I want to use this for my retirement, uh, but it, right. but it makes sense because, and and that's what really fascinates me about the whole project is it's it's really a way to get uh, for a lot of people that either don't have the the complete capital. Um, or mm-hmm. are, are quite risk averse as far as taking out mortgages, um, it allows them to to get into the pro- get into the property market without all of the other baggage that comes with getting into the property market. Right, exactly. And also, 
you're putting your money to work in in a, a company that is not a startup. Mm. So Kekscale have been around 39 years. They, uh, I think Mike Lee started something started with something like 70,000 pounds in his first property. And he, cause he saw, he saw the quality of student accommodation around the university was poor. Mm. So he just, you know, bought a property, did it or rented it out. And it just went on and on and on and on to the point where now I think uh, Kickskill have something like 120 million pounds in assets. So that's a from, from, you know, buying more properties, but also in the increase in actual asset values of th- every 39 years. So I thought, well, want to leverage those expertise, you know, that the chances of any individual, uh, putting, getting their money to work as, as hard as that, uh, well, slim to none, because you just don't have the expertise or the experience. Mike Lee is 70 years old. He's been in it 40 years, mm. proven track record. He's got intellectual property. The actual, the actual criteria for buying the properties, that's Kekskill's kind of secret source. That's their closely guarded secret, which is the formula that is going to be used to identify, select, you know, negotiate and buy these properties to make sure that they're highly profitable. Mm. There's this old adage in property in investing that goes, you make money on a property when you buy it, right? So that's the key. It's negotiating the best deal on the best property um, at the start, because if you mess that up, it'll be a liability, not an asset. Yeah, yeah. And we and, so, and Kexkill has a, the the proven record to show that they've been able to put that formula in place. Absolutely, and so proven. I'll uh, I'll shortcut another question you, that listeners might be thinking about, which is what happens if there's a financial crisis. We've been asked this question <laughs> dozens and dozens of times, and I say, did you not hear me? They've been around thirty nine years. They've seen the crash in the eighties. They've been they've lived through the two thousand eight financial crisis. They're smarter than that, right? They'll structure the portfolio in such a way that they not only weather the storm. In a previous interview. When Richard Stott was asked this question, he actually said 2008 was actually one of our best years because when asset prices fall, mm. companies like Kexcoin and Kexkill will be buying properties at a steal. Yeah. So that's an ideal opportunity to get some real undervalued assets. So we're not afraid of that at all. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and talking about Kexkill specifically, um, I know that another question that listeners might have is that, uh, well, we're essentially giving our money to this company and 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 letting them buy these properties and putting it on faith that you know these properties are going to be returned to us in 30 years um Mm -hmm. what has the company put in place to ensure that the future board members um uh, and the future people in charge of the company are bound by these promises and are bound to give these properties the proceeds from these properties back in 30 years absolutely right good call so we've written, or our lawyers have written, um, I don't know if you have this in, you're based in Australia, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm not sure how your how your companies work there, but do you know do you know what an Articles of Association is? Yeah, yeah, that? we have similar. So we have, the, we have the companies, the constitution of the companies, and we also have the, the private shareholders agreement that bind the shareholders to do certain things. Okay, the, the constitution probably sounds like the nearest thing, because yeah. we have shareholders agreements, right, which are just lays out how the shareholders um, relate to each other. Yeah. But in the UK, we call it, the document's called the Articles of Association, which is basically a legal document that sets the boundaries on what the directors of the company can and can't do. Mm. So we've written, lawyers have written, a 16-page set of Articles of Association that creates a, a, a specific ring fence around Kexcoin and the funds that are pledged to the project, which only allow us to do exactly what's in the white paper. So we're not allowed to do anything with the money other than build a property portfolio, and then if we, for some reason, sell a property midway through the project, we have to 
reinvest that money in buying another property, right? So we, we as the, the directors and the controllers of the Kexcoin company, we're not allowed to take salaries, dividends, or anything like that. We're not allowed to take any money out of the company. Um, the only way we get paid is because we have an allocation of Kex coins for ourselves, which are only worth something if we make them worth something. So our incentive is entirely results-based, which is a little bit nerve-wracking for me, but that's what it is. <laughs> it, it, just, it just creates a huge incentive to just be on our game, right? Yeah. Uh, if, you, if, you're, uh, if your income isn't guaranteed, you really focus on what you're doing, right? Yeah. So that's, that's a good thing. We've put ourselves, backed ourselves into a corner for a reason, right? So we can't wriggle out of it. And the Articles of Association set out exactly what we can and can't do. And, and at the end of the day, it's a very long document, but it basically says all the things we can't do, right? Which yeah. only leaves us with what we can do, which is exactly what's laid out in the white paper, right? right. Buy the properties, keep them, do the buyback, and then sell them at the end and distribute the uh, the proceeds. And those articles of association, they'll be available publicly somewhere? Yes, indeed. So, yeah. Yeah, in, the, in the UK, we have Companies House. That's the government's... Um, mm organization that is the company register so it's companieshouse.gov.uk and they have a little search box on there so you can type in the company number or the name of any british company and you'll be able to see are the directors really the directors mm. what other companies do they have a shareholding in what's the status of those companies um you can download the, the documents and so on it's one of the benefits of us being a, a british company it's, yeah it's a lot of paperwork right but but, 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 while there is a lot of admin, there is a reason why that's all in place, right? Mm. That's what creates the stability for UK companies is because we are, you can't get away with anything in the UK, right? You just can't. Mm. And that, that's actually probably why we're quite prosperous is because um, it's all very well um, managed and transparent, like companies' house. You can just... When someone's watching, this is like the thing, when you know someone's watching, it automatically modifies your behavior in a moral way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. I, we've, we've got a similar thing here in Australia with, um, I think ours is called ASIC. And uh, yeah, you can you can pull up information from any company, download their, their, their records, their constitution. You can download, I think you can even download some of their audits, um, especially if they're publicly listed. Um, right. It just, yeah. It creates this, this atmosphere of good faith. You know, it does. because people know that at any time someone can log in and see it all laid bare. And I mean, how many ICOs can you say that for? You know, well, you can, that's the thing. What shocks me? Documents. In the UK, um, you have to like list your company number and your address and all on the website so people can check you out. But it's weird since most of the time I'm on the other end of ICOs, being the being the mat, right? Reviewing them or interviewing them and so on. Mm. This is weird for me to step the other side and be the inside of an ICO. And since I've done this and had to cross all the T's and dot all the I's, I am shocked at how few ICOs you can actually contact. Like there's no phone number. There's very few ways to actually contact them other than social media. There's no mention of like, where's the company based in terms of country mm. or what's the legal entity, right? It's, it's, and it's one of those things where when you buy a Prius, you suddenly see a Prius everywhere. Yeah. It's like that. Since we've had to go through all these crossing the T's and dotting the I's, I'm attuned to it. And as I'm now looking at other ICOs studying them, I'm like, oh my God, how, you know, how, how are they getting away with this? People are giving <laughs> you know? all their money to this. I mean, mate, it, it fascinates me as a, as a legal professional, just watching the, I, I guess, the euphoria in the space at the moment and just how... Euphoria. Uh, people are just uh, not risk averse at all anymore, you know? That's a good and, one. Let me, let me pick you up on that. 
because euphoria that makes me think of someone who's taken ecstasy right yeah and who is completely out of their mind on positive brain chemicals and nothing matters mm. and nothing can go wrong everything's wonderful it is almost like that you know you see the booming prices of cryptocurrencies it almost triggers that euphoria yeah. feeling right and then you lose all rational control <laughs> yeah Oh, I mean, that's that's why I really like this project in particular because so many of the projects you go on and it's it's just a web page and like you say you you scratch below the surface and there's not much there you know there's a there's a few pictures of a team and um and some great ideas but um this is a a really uh, forward thinking intersection I guess in my view right. of of um, real world legal principles and which for all, you know, I mean, I know that the space is quite, um, quite rebellious towards much of what governments mm -hmm. do. Um, right. That at least the people that have been involved in the space for a long time, but there's a reason why companies are regulated and there's a reason why they need that. They've got obligations to share, um, certain information and make things public. Um, because, right. you know, that part of the space wasn't regulated at one stage and, um, and people learnt the hard way that when there's no transparency, um, bad things happen. You know, right? It's a yeah. it's a very fine balance. It is. Um, I can't remember who I was talking to about this recently, but um, I think it was Philip Kennedy from Kennedy Financial. He interviewed me the other day, and he was talking about what's my take on regulation. I said, well, as much as I'd like a completely free market that's unregulated. I think having no regulation at all and having like strangling amounts of regulation are as bad as each other. Because mm. on the one hand, it allows absolute cowboys to run free, right? But on the other end, it just completely strangles innovation and only allows the coin bases of the world that have like a compliance department. The startup just can't afford that. So yeah. they're as bad as each other. There needs to be like a little bit of regulation to just to set the guidelines as a bare minimum to, to just delete at least the worst of the worst. Mm. And then we can maybe get on from there. Yeah, no, that, that sounds good. Um, okay, so, so so another question I had was uh, the, these houses or these properties that you are going to be buying, um, are people able to see them online? Or are, are they able to look at the kind of places that Kexkill are thinking of investing? Sure, absolutely. They can look at the ones that Kexkill already own. But of course, until we've finished the, uh, the crowdfund, um, we can't say these are the ones we're going to buy, right? So because that depends on how much money we raise, what deals are on the table at the time and so on. So, and even when we're negotiating and we can't really reveal what deals we're negotiating because that's just bad business, right? Yeah. Once the deal's done, yeah. we don't want anyone creeping in and start to uh, take take the opportunities away from us. So yeah. once they're done, we'll publish everything, right? Richard has already committed to this. We're going to publish absolutely everything you'll get sick of reading it right <laughs> we'll publish every what we're spending the properties we've got where they are yada 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 but if you want to steer on pretty much the type of things that are going to be bought then you can just look at kexcoin kexcoin existing portfolio of student properties right. so that's that's something we we've kind of skirted around i talked about universities and and houses surrounding it but this is specifically building student property portfolios and people say, well, why student property portfolios? Well, because of, of all the yields on real estate, it's by far the most profitable right now. Okay. Uh, and actually, it's odd that there's more and more traditional real estate companies jumping on the student uh, property bandwagon because they are starting to see how well they yield. 
And and these student properties that are that are being purchased, I think I I had a quick look into what Kexkill normally purchase. They're normally in quite big blocks, aren't they? They they they've normally you know houses or complexes that have quite a few rooms, and you can it can allow the students to have a bit of a community within that that area. That's right. Yeah. One of the one of the innovative things that Kexkill are doing is buying office buildings and converting them into student uh, accommodation, which I thought was genius. And someone was like, why would you do that? And I said, well, think about just basic economics, right? If you've got an asset, you can purpose it in multiple ways. And you'll just purpose it the way that's most profitable. Mm. Now, if you, if, you, if you don't have that vision, if you go, well, that's an office building, you go, no, it's not. It's a piece of real estate. It's a building, right? You can mold the inside to be whatever you want. So if converting it into student lets yields more than office let, well, any business person in their right mind is going to convert it into student lets, right? And the point where, you know, if it was the other way around, if you had student halls of residence and office buildings were booming as profitability, you'd convert it the other way, right? That's just, it's not going that way, right? It's going the other way. So buying the the offices and converting them to student lets is just a better use of that real estate. So that's what that's one of the things that they're doing. Brilliant. So, okay, essentially what we've got here then is we've got, a way to get involved in property investment without the risks. We've got a proven company that's registered in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. It's auditable. Um, there's public details on BitShares. I know you guys have talked about sharing a lot of the um, the transactional details and the uh, where the money's going on BitShares itself in a public wallet. Sure, um, absolutely. And you've got a, a, a team that's got a, um, a proven record and, and, and great success behind you. Um, so mate, it's, it sounds it sounds like a really good project. I I really like the sound of it. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Um, I like to recap on the team in in particular. Yeah. Wherever wherever possible, we don't we don't want people to rely on our word, right? Which is why we've been pointing people to companies' house, saying, "Look, go and verify it for yourself," right? Because that's that's way more persuasive than anything we can say. Mm. So the more info we can publish, the better. And the more information that we don't have to publish directly, better. So things like publishing the multi-sig wallet where all the Bitcoin is held. We published that in the white paper before we even launched anything. So we don't have to tell you how much we've raised. You can check it any minute you like, right? And if you see anyone who leave that wallet, you can ask us why. Because we need to be able to answer that question. And none has left the wallet. And you can see it for yourself. Same with the BitShares account. You can see exactly how many Kex coins are in existence, exactly how many have been sold, where they've gone, how many is left. It's all there, right? So we don't need to, we don't need to, we do provide updates and announcements on that. Mm-hmm. However, we don't have to because you can check it yourself whenever you want. And when we made the video, we purposely wanted to shoot all five of us in the same video, in the same place, at the same time, to prove, yes, we do know all know each other. Yes, we're all involved in this project called Kexcoin, right? And yes, we all are on the core team. Mm. Uh, that was hard because coordinating five diaries for a day of a, of a film shoot like that was a nightmare, right? Because <laughs> we've all got, we've all got more, you know, more than we've got Kexcoin and we've all got our own businesses as well. Yeah. So doing that, but it was worth it because there you've got Mike Lee, you know, the chairman, and then you've got, Michelle, me, Simon, and Richard, all in the same Kexkill office talking about the same thing. So that, again, once we put that up, the main purpose of that is to say, look, yes, we're all involved. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about, right? We're all vouching, <laughs> saying, yes, we're involved, right? 
Yeah, man. Like I only saw that video this morning. Actually, I, I somehow I'd missed it, and it, it blew my mind just because you never see that on the front of an ICO page. You know, you never see, or you rarely see it. Everyone in the same room together talking about the same thing. Um, That's because it's hard, mate. It's because yeah. it's hard work, right? Um, and and I guess we'd we'd rather go overboard. Yeah. Right. Especially in this business. And and maybe that's the thing with us. We, all of us, um, have had previous businesses, so I think that counts for a lot, to mm. be honest, because it's just the way we think. We thought we have to have this, 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 this in place. And Richard came straight away when he said, "Yeah, let's do this." The the second thing he said after "let's do this" was, "We want to become the gold standard of ICOs." That, that's the exact words that came out of his mouth, and he's said it multiple times since because that's just how he does business, right? That's how he's built his reputation. That's how Kexcale has built his reputation, and I was like, "That's what I'm talking about." Awesome. Okay, so I just got a couple of final questions for you, Chris, um, and they're they're a little bit more personal. Um, the first one is: yeah, this space is growing, obviously at an exponential rate at the moment. Um, where do you see the crypto on the blockchain space in five years' time? Hmm. Yikes! <laughs> wow, that's um, that is a tough one. It's funny when um, there was someone. That I met the other day who was, who was launching one of these coins for the cannabis industry type thing. Yeah. And um, you can tell he's adjusted or climatized to the crypto space because he talks in sort of like, oh, that was like three months ago. And he says that as if it was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and he said, oh, that was like nine months ago. And I'm thinking, geez, that was only nine months ago. But he was saying it as if it was a long time ago. Mm. But when I heard it, I thought, wow, that was this year. You know what I'm saying? So that's an incredibly difficult question to answer let me try and do my best to answer it here five years from now the key difference between what's happening today and what will be happening then is a much greater integration between one blockchain and another i think that will be the humdinger innovation that completely changes the game so these these atomic swap things that that litecoin has been testing out mm. you know the ability to in a trustless way swap a decred for a litecoin right so that's, those are two currencies, but all these blockchains are sort of fragmented right now. If once we start linking them together in a big, massive network of networks, that's going to be realized in the next five years, I believe. And that will, that will create opportunities and changes that I can't even imagine right now. And what would you specifically then like to see crypto change in the real world? I personally, whether this is how realistic this is or not, is an increasing number of just everyday merchants accepting it directly as payment. I'm not talking about BitPays. I'm not talking about like coinpayments.net type of things where you convert it back into fiat. Actually, coinpayments, apologize, that's they don't do that. But BitPay do that where you immediately receive the Bitcoin and have it turned into dollars, right? Um, the more merchants that can accept crypto as payment directly, that moves us ever closer to the holy grail of using cryptocurrency as as the unit of account, meaning when we start pricing things in Bitcoin. Now, the listeners, I know already, a whole bunch of listeners when I say that are going to go, Chris, you've lost your mind. Pie in the sky, mate. Right, that's so far off. You know, when you go into Whole Foods and it says, this banana is 0.01 Bitcoin, right? That that would be my holy grail because that means we no longer need to liquidate our crypto back into fiat currency. And that will create massive price stability uh, and massive liquidity. So, and then we don't, 
then we don't need the old financial system anymore. Once we can earn Bitcoin and spend Bitcoin in Whole Foods, that will be a good day. Brilliant. Well, Chris, um, thank you so much for being a very gracious guest. Um, where can we find Kexcoin? You can find it at kexcoin.com. Okay, so go there, get involved in the ICO, um, check it out, check out the white paper. Do you have any other shout-outs you want to do, Chris? Um, not really. You can uh, check out all the social networks on Kexcoin. Come and join us on the official Telegram tra- chat group. I'm in there as much as possible. Simon's in there as much as he possibly can be. We're up to like 430 members now. And so you can scroll back through that and look at all the questions that have been previously answered or ask your own question. You're free to come in there. Brilliant. Well, Chris, thank you very much uh, for being a guest on the show um, and taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk. I really appreciate it and all the very best. I've enjoyed talking to you, mate. Thank you very much. I I really like that because they're a real-world company, which is what kind of gets me. I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, these Mm -hmm. guys actually are real. Like, you can go to their offices and how many ICOs can you actually say that about? But. Mm-hmm. it's true yeah 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 so that's about it for us here at the FOMO show um, bit of a different episode today but we hope you've enjoyed it if you know someone that might enjoy listening to us please um, share share the podcast with them um, we'd always <laughs> love to have new listeners um, you can find us at FOMO.show uh, that's FOMO.show you can jump on our Slack at FOMOshow.slack.com and have a chat to us you can follow us on Twitter at, at the underscore FOMO underscore show and at Facebook at facebook.com slash the FOMO show. As always, we'll put all those links in the show notes. Fantastic. Well, yeah, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, yes, remember, no FOMO. That's the great thing about post-production, is that <laughs> you can just make yourself sound really smart. I can, I can make you say whatever I want. Just mix oh, together some no, of your words. And... Why do I not trust you when you say this? And I'm Joe. And this is the way... What was I saying again? Uh, no for... This is the struggle that I live with, you know. I, I, but on the one hand, I'm, I'm sitting connected to 150 meg Wi-Fi. That's on the, uh, yeah, but on, but, but at the same time, I'm on, on a phone and I don't know about you, but I, when I text somebody on a phone, I, I suddenly turn into my mother. It takes me an hour to send a message <laughs> to, you, do you know what I mean? It's not even, it's not. It's not even the southeast of England as well. I don't even know where I am. Anyway. <laughs> Mate, no one will know. <laughs> no, I'd probably assume you're in Brighton Fantastic. or somewhere. Mate, it keeps the HMI.